Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It is March 2nd, 2021, and welcome to the QTR Podcast. This is QTR. First and foremost, I want to let you know this podcast is brought to you by my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I am going to shout out my patrons. I'll give you the rules for the podcast, and we're going to be on our way today talking with the legendary Bill Fleckenstein. First and foremost, I want to shout out my friends over at JM Bullion, my exclusive gold and silver provider. They have been in business for a decade now. They've done over $3 billion in sales. It's the only place I buy my gold and silver bullion. QTR podcast listeners have their own rep over there. Email Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com, and those links are all in my podcast description if you're interested in buying gold and silver. And then you get personalized attention, too. You don't have to worry about going online. I love this company. They ship to me usually the same day that I order I've had great experiences with them personally, so I am happy to recommend JM Bullion, and especially because they support the podcast. This podcast also brought to you by George Gammon's Rebel Capitalist Pro Platform. George Gammon, Lynn Alden, and Chris McIntosh have come together to help break down the absolute insanity that is the macro economy. It's nuts. I think it's a giant Ponzi scheme. George sees things similar to the way that I do. And if you want a perspective on things that's a little bit, I would say a little more educated than mine, uh, a little bit more knowledgeable than mine, uh, the Rebel Capitalist Pro platform and the forum specifically where I like to hang out and do some reading uh, is a great resource. They also do live Q&As. You can get a glance at uh, all these people's portfolios, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. And uh, George Gammon's a very smart guy. His platform, well worth it. And that link is also in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by that household name, Wall Street Jesus and Sang Lucci. The Steam Room is, somebody asked me yesterday, what's that options platform that helps you track money coming into the options market? The answer is the Steam Room. The Steam Room is one of a kind. These guys were tracking options before anybody else in the industry was doing it. Now it's kind of the standard But Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus have had a leg up and have been perfecting the Steam Room for, I think, almost a decade now. They are offering a 30-day free trial if you use WallStreetJesus.com. That is the link in my podcast description. You can also follow Wall Street Jesus and Sang Lucci on Twitter for free. They, uh, They send out little pieces of trading information on there, too, so maybe if you're skittish, about joining the Steam Room, you can follow them first and check it out, but they'll work with you. They'll get you a deal. They will work with you. Just reach out to Sang Lucci. Tell them you're interested. The link to the Steam Room is in my podcast description. This podcast is also brought to you by my friends at The Trader's Path, which is my favorite day trading and investing community run by my buddy Pete Hedgetus. If you're looking for a nice community to surround yourself with, bounce questions off of, and just generally, uh, you know, have some camaraderie with. They offer live streams, daily watch lists, uh, all types of tools and resources, investor education. And Pete is a reputable guy. He's an honest guy to do business with. Uh, I enjoy him. He supports the podcast. And Pete, I uh, I love supporting you. So check out um, The Trader's Path. <laughs> Sorry, I'm doing five things at once, of course. Check out The Trader's Path. That link is also in the podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at Traders for a Cause, Ken R., Chris Bede, Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, Jay Mintzmeyer, Russ Valenti, Crichton Titus. I want to thank all of my recent 
patrons, some of the people that have signed up recently to support the podcast. Andrew Clements, thank you. Andrew Archer, also you. My friend Doug and Jim Thomas, Josh and Adam Rossi, David Barber, Tyler and Tom Smalley. Thank you, Tony Prez. Some people that have been with me for a hot minute. Taylor Kennedy, Adam Cosette, uh, Peter McAuslin, thank you. Mason Larabina, I appreciate your continued support of the podcast. We'll do two more. How about my friend Yuri Valeriano? Thank you. James Curian, I see you, brother. Pivotal Capital, what's up? Brent, Dover, and Trinker, thank you for your continued support on Patreon. This podcast has a three-drink minimum, and first and foremost, nothing on this podcast is investment advice. I am not an investment advisor. I am not registered. I hold no licenses. I am a nobody in the financial world. We're just talking here to try and find big answers to some big questions that I have. How's that for an intro in five minutes or less? Let's get started. All right, happy to have with me today the man that helped me start it all, Bill Fleckenstein. Bill is a professional money manager. He's got over 30 years experience. He's I probably over 33 now because it was over 30 when I first put that bio in here like three years I'm, ago. I'm, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to admit it's close to it's, – it's, it's actually 40. <laughs> I, gotta, I have to amend that. Uh, you can find him at FleckensteinCapital.com. Uh, He's got a great column called Ask Fleck that a lot of my followers I know uh, uh, participate in. And recently, you can see him, probably the reason he hasn't been on here is because he's doing his own podcast with the wonderful Grant Williams, which I have listened to and is fantastic and has gotten rave reviews. So if you're looking for actual serious analysis and uh, less crude humor, you may want to drift from my podcast over to that one how you doing bill oh i lost you bill you there yeah oh there you are right here wonderful uh how's things going how are you i'm doing just fine how are you i'm great congratulations on the uh podcast with grant williams it's really kick-ass i know a lot of people are enjoying it yeah it's it's been really fun uh it, it came about in in the most unusual way my buddy uh, Mark Cahotis calls me up one time, I don't know, last spring, right in the heat of the COVID, and said, "You and Grant Williams need to get together and do a podcast." And you know, blah 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 blah. And so I called Grant and said, "Hey, Cahotis says we need to do this." And I said, "You know, if we could find the right vantage point." And so one of my one of my favorite topics is trying to discuss how this central bank period of insanity ends and so that's how he came up with the end game and and the vantage point of the end game and then because of grant's rolodex and the people that i know we've been fortunate enough to persuade some pretty thoughtful people very thoughtful people i I mean uh, to come on and discuss this and as you know from doing your own podcast when you have time to develop thoughts you can actually get to the heart of a matter really flesh it out in a way that might be useful to other people I wanted to do it because I thought it'd be fun thing that I would learn a lot in doing it, and and that's been the case. So it, it it's been uh, it, it's been very worthwhile thus far. Yeah, and it comes about at really, I think serendipitous time, right? Arguably, thing. I mean, look, three years ago when I first talked to you on episode one of this podcast, the gist was in 2018. Hey. <clears throat> Things right now look a little euphoric, and why is the Fed dragging their feet to raise rates and slow things down a little bit? And, you know, isn't this just further proof that 
they got to keep the Ponzi scheme going. But here we are three years later, and I don't think anybody could have guessed how absolutely mad things have gone since then. I mean, certainly we both knew that they would be doing QE in perpetuity, but I, I didn't think it would look like this so quickly so soon. Did you, Bill? Um, it, I, I, didn't, I didn't contemplate it because I didn't know what the world would look like. But I think the important thing is that if your mindset has been such that these guys can only do one thing and you understood why that was the case, then the, the direction of their actions haven't been surprising. The magnitude has, but that's kind of a function of, you know, you know what, what uh, COVID, uh, sorry, what the reaction to COVID did, not COVID so much. Um, and so, uh, yes, I was, I, I'm, I'm slightly, I'm surprised at the magnitude, but not really. I, I couldn't have predicted it, like I said, because I didn't know what the environment would be. But the fact that they did what they've done, and, and now they say, "Look, we're we're gonna we're, we're not even thinking about thinking about raising rates." Rates, they are they are telling you that they are they're not they don't even, they don't even care about inflation. They they are so drunk that they think it's such a good thing, and they have now gotten social priorities ahead of inflation. In that you know they they want employment at back at its peak and there's been lip service to um you know the people of color version of that now i don't know how serious they're going to focus on that we'll have to see but inflation's you know way way in the back and when you think about the fact that the inflation data is completely cooked and i don't mean that like in a you know um tinfoil hat sense i mean the math between substitution owner's equivalent rent hedonics you, 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 they've constructed an index that, that, that has any has has real difficulty uh, showing any inflation. So they've got the, the barometer is understated. They're going to let it hot and 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 run longer than they need to because they're going to rationalize it because they think inflation is great. Now, what you've never seen in the you know hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Fed interviews is you've never had one of them articulate why inflation is good because. They can't because it isn't, right. and that's never been part of their mandate. That just evolved because my pet theory is that when the 08 uh, uh, collapse happened, they were worried about a depression, and so they talk about deflation like a depression. And then if so, if deflation deflation equals a depression, then boom times must equal inflation. It's literally almost like the analysis that's simplistic, you know. Whereas we, we we see deflation constantly in the price of electronic doodads. That's the idea behind hedonics. Even though the price may go up, I mean your phone does a lot more, but their health cost a hell of a lot more than they did a few years, you know, four, right. five, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. But um, you know, but now we all have supercomputers, and therefore, you know, basically, um, you know, they're paying us to take them on the hedonic scale. Any case, um, um, so the, the 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 amazing thing to me has been how obvious it is that they're trapped and how little consequence there has been about that thus far. Um, and I suppose, um, as Paul Singer said, you know, they got away with it for the last decade. And so now no one really thinks about the consequences of their actions. They just look at what they perceive to be the, um, the, the benefits, i.e. making markets go up and rates cheap and all that stuff. 
Yeah, it's so strange how the narrative around inflation has changed. I mean, it's odd to me, and I've only been paying attention for 10 years. So for it to kind of morph into, like you said, hey, they don't really talk about why it's why inflation is good or, you know, what the function of inflation is. Um, and now, yeah, and it, go, go ahead. I was going to say inflation is a consequence of economic activity in a, in a general sense. And it's also a consequence of, of reckless monetary policy and some interwoven you know, combination of the two of them. The problem is today there are very few people who actually were operating financial markets or businesses or, or, or even, you know, uh, old enough to understand what was going on in the uh, 70s. Uh, so to have any real feeling for the psychological component, and that's one of the things we've explored on the end game. And I know a lot of really smart people that I respect who basically feel that, you know, you just can't get inflation started. They're not really worried about it. Some of them are worried about a little bit of a scare, but I think that they all, all, all these people they're saying when most of them are a little bit younger, um, and I just don't think that they really understand how once psychology shifts, it's so hard to move it in the other direct direction. I'll give you an example. I'll give you a different example. You know, I, I think there's a whole lot of people out in the world that are quote unquote woke, right? But there's a whole lot of people that think that the extremeness of it is insane. But you wouldn't – you probably, when it first started happening, you'd think, oh, this is going to last for five minutes. It's so ridiculous at the extreme version. And yet it's only gotten more extreme and crazier and continued and continued. And so my point is once psychology moves in a direction people start doing it, it gets a life of it owns and goes on much longer than you thought. Well, the same thing happens when, will happen when inflation when, when inflation gets to a point where people start to get concerned about it. It's very difficult to change once it gets started, and that's the part that's underappreciated by, I think, most people who've only been in the investment business for 10 or even 20 years or maybe even 25. So, Yeah, interesting. And one of the things you mentioned before is the Fed trying to fight these social issues, which is something that has come up now – and really is hitting somewhat of a fever pitch now at this point, more so than I've seen, uh, I don't know, over the last couple of oh, years. What do you make of that? Yes. What do you make of Congress well, pushing think, social issues on the Fed? Well, I think, but I mean, I think the Fed's happy to receive it. I mean, you've probably seen some of the, uh, you know, Rudy Haverstein on, on Twitter is always, you know, you know, pumping out stuff about the Fed and goof, but you know, he puts out these I think it's a New York Fed that does these things to show how socially conscious and woke they are. And I think the San Francisco Fed and it, it's 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 all part of the, 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 the psychology that's driving the day, you know, and and and, you know, we've got you can see what happens in all in the laws and the regulations and where where things are going. And the Fed, I think, is. Uh, you know, captive populated by a lot of academics, and I think at the margin, the whole um, you know woke woke creed or belief in you know critical race theory and all of those concepts are are, are in the are in the academic world, and the Fed is a bunch of academics as well. So the fact that those two have cross pollinated each other, I don't find particularly shocking. Um, I mean, if you look back at history and, and look at any period. 
um, you know, because we have perspective on it because it's in the past, you know, they've been laughed out of town for pursuing these kind of goals because they can't do them. It's like when the Fed pays lip service to global warming. I mean, really? I mean, you can't even get monetary policy right. You can't even get regulation right. I mean, you've presided over two bubbles, and one of them happened right in the very uh, part of the financial system you were directly had, had oversight for. That was the big big brokerage firms in 08. Right. Um, so – I don't find it shocking that this group of crazies has has abdicated <laughs> their monetary responsibility and gone off into the social agenda. Uh, it, it, it won't end well. Exactly how I can't tell you, but it, it won't end well. That much I know. But I mean, what is the what what can the Fed do? I mean, what what can they do other than try to print a bunch of money and then and then balance out that purchasing power? one way or the other. I mean, we're just getting so close to the Fed just handing corporations, handing really anybody that seemed, you know, now yesterday they're talking about moving a, a bill forward for reparations. Like, okay. So, I mean, we're I feel like we're shades away from the Fed just wiring people money if it supports their social causes. Doesn't it feel like that? I, I don't know how close we are to that, um, but if it evolved that that was the case, would I be surprised? I would say no, not really. Um, you know, I don't know how literally close they are to that. I mean, we'd need some sort of a, you know, a, you know, financial accident, some sort for them to get all uh, disturbed again, I think. Or maybe not. I mean, we we really don't know exactly what the administration and, and, and in, in this case, it would be, you know, what, you know, Biden and Yellen, you know, want to cook up with Jay Powell. We, we don't really know that yet. They, they've they been pretty tight lipped. I mean, so far, we don't even have a State of the Union speech. I mean, not that we need that to know what agenda is going to be. But right. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, Congress has been kind of, you know, carrying the ball, doing all the things they want to do. So I don't really know exactly, you know, what would jumpstart you know, a drumbeat for the for the for the Treasury and the Fed to kind of lock arms and try to pursue a goal, right? I mean, whatever's supposed to be in the Fed charter doesn't mean anything anymore, as we saw last year <laughs> when they bought corporate bonds and right. and so I mean, anyone who says well the Fed can't do that hasn't paid attention because they'll do whatever they want. You know, would they buy stocks? Yeah. Oh, I forgot that was this year. Would they buy stocks? Yes, and 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 as I've said along, Chris, they'd be bragging about it. They wouldn't be hiding it. But anyway, we don't have to go down that path again. No, no, but it sounds like you're you're coming around to it, and we, you know, we. Uh... No, 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 no. I, I, but if 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 they if they deemed it necessary. By their reckoning, they would do it. They would tell you they're not going to do it surreptitiously. That's that's always been my point. But. Right. Understood. Understood. Yeah, it feels like, I mean, what do you think the, obviously we're saying, look, CPI is not being registered correctly. If you look at something like the Chapwood Index, you can see inflation and the cost of living is rising far more significantly than the Fed lets on. What do you think is the most inflationary uh, path that the Fed can go down in terms of just creating direct price inflation. I mean, we know they can expand the money supply, but what do you think? Where do you think the biggest risk is for them in generating real consumer price rises, even ones that register on the CPI, um, versus kind of the QE that they're doing now, where this money stays parked? You know, you hear about the velocity well, argument all the time. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think 
smart friends of mine would dis- that who are to have a different view would disagree with me on this, but I think people are way more sanguine about the Fed's ability to generate inflation that they don't want, uh, you know, more than they want, uh, because it didn't really happen the last go round. So they're, they've torched, the, the, in my mind, the logic of, well, it's, it's stayed trapped in the financial system has been tortured. Um, yes, they make a great case and they can show you the numbers, but that isn't exactly true because and, – and, and the reason people like that argument is they can – there's a stat you can get at. But when I first started out in the business back in the early 80s, I tried to understand how monetary policy actually worked. And I've spent my whole life asking questions. And the truth is you can't really explain exactly how it works. You know, Mike Green likes to talk about, you know, it, 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 it changes the collateral value of bonds. Well, yeah, that, that matters in a risk parity world. And, but the whole the world didn't always used to be a risk parity world. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, it leaks out. So, so back in the day when the Fed would do, you know, um, you know, buy bills or match sales, they would constrict or increase the money supply and it would matter to the market. Now, I don't, I don't believe it was because they changed the collateral value. It, 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 it said something to animals about animal spirits, perhaps, but it was also how money kind of leaked out, you know. And I, I had, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of discussions with people about how does it actually work. And the fact of the matter is, you really can't go from the, from the ankle bone all the way to the neck bone. It just some of it just happens. And, and that also happens today. Like, for instance, the, the people that like to say, well, the money is in a silo in the bank and it can't leak out. Well, yeah. Well, tell me about how, 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 about, how about options? So one of the ways that equity the, – the market – sorry, money leaks out is that people get stock options and then they monetize them. And they're able to monetize them right. partly because of you know, the, 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 the rate structure and things like that. So, so money is constantly leaking in. You, could, you wouldn't have to have bank lending. You know, let's just say that they mandated – I'm making something up. That everybody above the level of dish, uh, uh, you know, everybody in every corporation had to have stock options, and they had to have so much, kind of like the minimum wage. Well, you would just, you just gave everybody a wage increase. Well, you, they did that without the banking system. So I think there are some beliefs about what is a necessary prerequisite of inflation that I don't necessarily know is true. Now we won't know till after this cycle is over how how exactly it's going to play out. But I think you've they've set up basically every precondition. To generate some real inflation, you know, the disruption of the food chain. I'm sorry, of, of of you know supply chains, you know, moving from from you know necessarily be in China or Southeast Asia, other places. Um, people have now seen that sometimes you got to buy stuff when you can. Uh, might go up in price. So there've been a lot of things that have been small disturbances in the force, to steal a Star Wars analogy. And the other preconditions are there. They're printing money. So I think. I, I'd be shocked if we don't if the spark doesn't hit the dry tin, uh, uh, tinder and produce a big ass flame, and they will never get the genie back in the bottle. If you stop and think, if they get inflation going, how are they going to stop it? They can't tighten. We've already seen what happens if they try to tighten or restrict credit, and then when the world looks at the fact that inflation is running hotter than they than, than 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 the Fed wants or anyone else wants, assuming we get to that point. They'll, they'll have no way to deal with it, and then the, the the bond market will just you know 
tank on its own. The stock market will, and they won't be able to use the printing press. That's been my my end game for a long time. I've always said the markets will take away the printing press. And people would say to me, well, how can the bond market not go up if the Fed's buying them? Well, you know what? You've seen it since August. Ten years gone from, what, 80-some basis points to 140-some basis points? Now, the Fed people aren't upset because they think it means the economy is going to come roaring back, and perhaps it will. But my, my point is people have been so conditioned that whatever the Fed wants, the Fed gets. They can't quite envision a world where that doesn't happen. So anyway, um, I think there's a big train wreck down the road. I have no idea when, and, and you can't guess it when. You'll only be able to start to see things are changing. People are People are thinking about this differently, and the, and the narrative and the stories will change. And then, then if we get to that point, it's going to be a really, really tricky period. Well, what do you make of the bond market action? Because I always think back to your interview on CNBC that I always talk about, and I've buried the hatchet with Tim Seymour over that, and I think you have too. But the one thing you said in that interview is, I don't know which bond market will crack up first. I remember that quote very vividly. And right. And so I'm anxious to hear about your take on what's going on in bonds because there are people saying, hey, the bond market is basically telling the Fed you guys have it wrong. But there's also people saying, smart people saying that, hey, the tenure is just going back to where it was pre-COVID. Yeah, I think at this juncture, it's more of the latter than the former. If it was more of the former, I think I think, I think the precious metals would be doing better. Now, to be fair... Other than gold, recently, the, you know, the, you know, if you look at the PGMs or or silver, I mean, they they they've behaved in a way that's kind of like maybe some people are a little concerned, you know, but I I don't think people are really very concerned at all yet, and I think that, and I don't think, and I think that people that observe the bond market aren't too freaked out because they think, well, the the bond market has moved as it has because the economy is coming back and it all makes sense. So I think it's a little too early to say that the Fed is losing any kind of control. And you know you can look in Japan, which is much further along in this game than we are. And now I think JGB shield 14 basis points, which you know maybe a year ago they were at minus 10 or something. Um, and you know what are they doing? Sometimes I think that you know maybe Japan will will be the bond market that 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 changes first. But they've already monetized half of them. So in, in effect, you know the 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 amount of debt outstanding that Japan has has been cut in half in the last decade or so. Yeah, and it might be the it might be the corporate bond market because you might say, okay, look, I know I'm going to get cheated if I buy a ten year Treasury it yields one fifty or one forty five. Because I know inflation, but I know I'm getting the money back. Well, then you look at XYZ corporate credit, and you know, and and you're getting not that much more. And you say, shit, I got inflation risk and I got credit risk. I'm not doing that. So maybe the credit market starts to see the spreads widen, not due to credit, but due to inflation. That's one of my pet little theories. It hasn't happened yet, but that's another place that I'm kind of looking to looking to see if you know, something may be changing. Right. Um, because if inflation psychology ever gets to where I think it's going to, could go and really ought to go given what's happened, the financial markets are going to be in so much trouble. The good news is that the, the people, there's a hard concept for people to understand that haven't, you know, kind of been watching this movie play out for 40 years is that the fed by allowing all this can kicking means we never deal with any problems. And so you get generations of people that think certain things aren't problems. 
And so we don't deal with any of the contingent liabilities and the, the deficit gets more enormous. I know you, 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 you talk about that all the time, or you make, you know, Twitter tweets about that all the time. And, um, and it, but it just seems like it's painless. And then we get to the point where people are talking about MMT. Sure, this is painless and that's painless and we can shut everything down and then give the government's money and we don't. And so I think a lot of the change in psychology and in business in America has been because of the, the Fed in, in, inspired slash aided and abetted can kicking this going on. So so what real problem have we tackled now? People that advocate government health care can say, well, Obama got us, you know, Obamacare. And if, if you know, if that's one of your main causes, you, you can say, OK, the government did that. But 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 other problems. And of course, now the cost continues to escalate because but but that's a different issue. So we haven't addressed any of our long running problems. Um, and, and and of course, then then they get so so big that, you know, we'll get to a point where, um, you know, it'll create a big accident and, and they won't be able to print their way out. And. And, and that's what has to happen to give the younger generations a fair crack at not having to grow to, to grow up with a in, in a in a in a debt laden world like we have right now. Yeah, what would that look like? Well, I mean, look, the, the, I don't. I, we passed the point of no return at least five, maybe ten years ago, <laughs> of being able to maybe somehow come out of this someday without. Uh, a, a depression of some sorts. I mean, you know, I don't know the future, but from what I can see, if this, if if the central banks get their two and a half percent inflation, if they really get it, it'll be running a lot more, and psychology will change, and they will not be able to control it, and right. they lose control of the bond market, and by extension, the stock market, and they won't be able to print their way past the problems. So it has to implode, and that means certain things for the economy, recession here and in the world, and you can just figure out how that might play out. It will be very, very brutal. It will be like what 08 would have been had they not, well not quite uh, had they not bailed out the financial system. Oh wait, would have been slightly different because basically the financial system turned into a black hole, and that would have that would have metastasized in a certain way. This will be different because if you if you if if you're set up prudently, you might be able to get your way through it. If in the in what happened with the financial system about to go you know dark uh, in 08, you could have been totally prudent and still been hosed. So that's that's a different outcome. Now, you know, there may be some things that can save that along the way. I don't know. I mean, the 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 debt that's on the Fed's balance sheet and the BOJ's balance sheet and these under central bank balance sheets, that will never ever be taken off those balance sheets. It will only grow. Um, and you know, there you know. So, but I mean, now I'm talking about looking into the event horizon of a black hole. I mean, I can kind of see where we may be going, but until we get closer and see what the variables are, you you can't have any kind of a strong opinion about, you know, what you know what'll happen to what. I mean, but the 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 the, the policy of can kicking and easy money and all the thing that this is that's that started with Greenspan. It's been going on for 30 years. I mean, that's a, that's a that's a uh, a long time. And um, um, anyway, so well, I don't know exactly how to play out. Let's talk about China real quick. They made comments overnight that they were warning essentially about bubbles in the uh, Western stock markets, which I thought was funny. Of course, coming out of China, but 
to me, I see that as trying to read tea leaves. Uh, you know, I had read this uh, Society General report last year, late last year, talking about what China's what their goals monetarily uh, in terms of monetary policy and fiscal policy would be in the forthcoming year. That note seemed to allude that China would tighten a little bit, that they were going to start to get a little bit more hawkish on monetary policy, uh, you know, kind of battening down the hatches and doing a little bit of housekeeping this forthcoming year. And then then when I see this note uh, headline come out last night about them warning about bubbles in Western equity markets, my wheels just start turning and I just start thinking, man, you know, uh, uh, what what could they be up to? I mean, what do you think? Uh, it could be nothing, but what do you think uh, maybe like a worst case scenario with China could be? I mean, what kind of pressure do you think they could put on the U.S. in terms of uh, economically or financially? I really don't know. I have for you know, since China became an, an important variable in the mix over the last 20, 25 years, I've tried not to hold a very strong opinion because I knew that I did not have the right data to try to really have a, 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 any kind of a well-researched insight. And so I never, there've been lots of China scares about one thing or another thing. And I, I've, I've said, you know, I just don't know enough. I'm gonna kind of just try to pay attention. And other than, so I don't really know what their agenda is, and I don't even know if, except power, I don't know when they say one thing, do they really mean that? Are they trying to rally? I I just don't know. And I look, there's enough things that are happening that I understand that aren't being paid attention to that I don't I don't try to hold an opinion about something where I know I, I don't get good data. And I just don't have a good feel. So I don't really know what they're up to. But I do know, or so I, I do worry about the fact that I think, other than our, our, our war technology, so to speak, I think we're um, kind of in a weak place as a country given the sort of the, 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 the real lack of the, the huge spread of, you know, the people that um, were, say, Biden supporters or Trump supporters, just to pick a way to label it. And I, I just I, I worry that if a war started somehow, I, I really don't know how we would deal with that. I, I hope that doesn't happen. And I don't I don't think that's their agenda, but I don't think they can look at us right now and be scared. I mean, I think they have to think that my guess and I've already admitted I'm not well, you know, researched on this. I don't think they're very afraid of us. Right. No, I don't so, think so. I don't, I don't think I don't think that's a good position. But beyond that, I don't have a strong opinion. Like I said, I got enough stuff to worry about that I can really understand that I can't borrow trouble on something I don't really have good data on. I mean, is it reasonable to think that at some point their treasury purchases are going to slow up or stop? I mean, I I don't understand why anybody would be buying them. But well, I th- I think that they have. I, I I don't I don't have the data at my fingertips, but I mean, uh, I I think that they have, but. You know, but and I think that I think they might be concerned about the dollar or treasuries in general. I mean, you know, if they, I mean, the the people that there there are plenty of people in the administration or in the bureaucracy over there that are U.S. educated, plenty smart. They can see 
it's look, what's interesting to me about the I'm shifting gears on you, but it's interesting to me that it seems like the entire Bitcoin crowd gets the gets the joke about the Fed and the and the fact that the the money is, you know, being turned into confetti. It seems like they all get that joke. Now, they have all kinds of other reasons for liking Bitcoin and, and all of that sort of thing. But it, it seems like a lot of what I see on Twitter is they all get the joke about the Fed. So if it's that obvious to that segment of the population, why wouldn't it be obvious to you know smart Chinese uh, bureaucrat types that are in charge of finance? So right. you know maybe maybe they hold some just they hold their nose and buy them and just because they want to have something in that just from a liquidity standpoint I don't know but I it seems to me I, I I the data that I've that I think I've seen suggests that they have slowed down their purchase. I mean. They certainly can't be buying a pro rata like they used to because otherwise they don't they don't weigh more, especially given the the, the size of the deficit continues to grow. Yeah, let's talk about um, precious metals, which you mentioned. You thought maybe the precious metals market was. I mean, do you think the precious metals market is reacting appropriately to what's going on now? I mean, I know you don't know obviously exactly uh, where they're supposed to be, but what's your take on on the recent move? You know, coming off from gold maybe coming off from 2000 while at the same time we're still kind of pushing the ball forward on trillions yeah. more in stimulus well uh i have to lead with my chin and say that you know i totally missed the intensity and length of this the correction that's been going on now for you know call it six or seven months in gold and in the mining stocks I, I, you know, at the time in August, September, I, I mean, August, I kind of thought we maybe we could have a correction because the, you know, the sentiment, the action, and all that. But I thought it through, and I thought, okay, we're going to get a shorter correction because that'll screw the most people because everyone's being clever and trying to get uh, off off the train. They're going to get back on it, and because I thought, and if we have a protracted one, it'll be really complicated. But I didn't think that was going to happen, and, and that's exactly what's happened. So. I can't say that I, you know, sometimes in this business, you, you, you see the ball really well, you see what's going on, you react to it, you, you know, you, you got it, you're in sync. Uh, and, and I, I have not been on this subject. Um, so, uh, you know, gold has behaved dreadfully, uh, although it's not down gargantuan amount, it's just the way it goes down does so in a way that demoralizes people and gets them to give up. And, you know, the sentiment, uh, the DSI, the, the futures market daily sentiment index, got down to 14 a couple of days in a row, which is quite low. It's almost never gets that low in a bull market. Right. That uh, doesn't stay there very long. And the, the the DSI, I think, on the bond market was 18, and the dollar was 30, or vice versa. So two markets that supposedly everyone hates. You see lots of chatter about dollar and bonds. Both those markets, people were more optimistic about them than gold. <laughs> So I thought that's kind of interesting because they're kind of like in direct competition with each other, right? Sure, yeah. Bonds and the dollar versus gold. So, so um, this correction has been pretty brutal, and you, uh, you know, it's the the mining sector at you know, let's call it eighteen hundred dollar gold is many of these stocks are selling at 10, 10 times earnings or twelve or less. I mean, new gold sells for five times, but obviously the price of gold and and, and silver and copper by by extension have to hold up for those those numbers to, to matter prospectively. I, th I think that it will, but uh, you know. Anyway, I, I I think there's some chance that the correction is finally ending, given the lopsidedness of the decline and where sediment is, and positioning, and the fact that there's been so much pressure in the futures market that the nearby month is traded at a discount to spot for many days in a row. I haven't seen that very often, 
So I think it might be ending, but I have, I totally missed it. So if you ask me if the market's behaving the way, the way it's supposed to, meaning how I thought it would, uh, the answer's no, <laughs> hasn't been. What do you make of uh, crypto? I mean, give me a broad overview of, of your thoughts on crypto as a whole. Uh, and also, what are you making of the uh, the recent move, which really since the last time we talked, I mean, the price of crypto has exploded. Um, I understand the concept of why people want to own this very well. Right. It's it's a limited thing. OK. And um, and therefore, in a world of debasement, the price of a limited thing often goes up. And so. I understand the price action component. Um, I, I don't, I've spent a fair amount of time on this. I don't, you know, initially people said, well, we want to own Bitcoin to get the blockchain. You know, they never talk about it now. Right. Never talk about the blockchain. And and, 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 and uh, unfortunately, the blockchain hasn't been utilized for much yet, although, although that may be changing, but it's not going to be because of, you know, a lot of the cryptos coins. So, um, now it seems to me it's all you know, the, the lip service is always to the Fed and the central banks, which I get. But the whole some of the more um, grandiose claims about you know how it's going to you know do all these wonderful things, I'm skeptical about that. And my problem with it is that um, it's too much of a faith-based item. Right. That I don't I don't you know there's there are certain problems that could matter. Not the least would be what what China is going to finally decide. And I just don't know how I would ever manage my risk. Manage my, managing my risk in gold is difficult enough, but at least I know that, you know, there's an end end market and there's things that I can look at. I don't know how, I mean, there's just, you know, at least gold you can use for jewelry right. or other things, art, but you, Bitcoin can only be used for, you know, you know, price appreciation and paying people. So it's, you know, uh, so anyway, I, I, I just uh, um, um, I'm not uh, I'm not involved. I understand the logic of the people that are. I, I I I don't agree with a lot of the a lot of the things that I see said. But you know, these folks have been doing well, and maybe there's just something that I cannot see. And I've read, I've listened to all the arguments. I I don't think that I'm missing anything, but you know, it, it, it's gone up without me. I did a lot of research on it at 600 bucks and decided to pass. So how smart am I? Right. <laughs> but, but having said that, had I bought it, it's no way I would have stuck around this long because there's too many things would have scared me along the way. So, right. And as I keep arguing, you know, well, as Warren Buffett argued, price is what you pay and value is what you get. Right. Yes. But as we learned today, there's, there, there's, or sorry, we had a great example today. There's no such thing as, I mean, value has almost nothing to do with what goes on in the market today, and that's the, nothing better exemplifies that than the, this ETF that Dave Portnoy is going to roll out, you know, called Buzz, where they're going to go right. get an algorithm to scrape social media, and we're just going to pick all the most popular stocks that have chatter. I mean, if that isn't the perfect quintessential example of a voting machine as opposed to a weighing machine, using Buff Buffett's analogy, I don't know what is. That's where we are. It's all about it's all about what do we like we, we we vote to like this one because it's doing well on ESG right. and the concept is so great and and you know what's even better it's already gone up a lot so that's even better right so the what goes on today 
in the ad in the in the main is not analysis. I mean, I'm not trying to say no one's doing any, but what I'm saying is what's moving things is not analysis. And when you've got half the market tied up by the passive component that, that Mike Green has, you know, kind of, um, you know, you know, explained to the world. And then you add on this other stuff. I mean, there's there's nothing about there, there's so little there's so li- there's so little actual real investing. You know, okay, is this worth this? It's all about well, you know, what's moving and what's hot and what's got the right concept and what's you know all that sort of thing. Um, so um, it's just it, it's just I mean, I I've read many 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 books on the twenties over the years, and I've reread them many many times. What what I see today. What I've been seeing reminds me a, a lot of, of the public mood in terms of, you know, psychology and technology and gee whiz stuff in the 20s. And now everyone's involved and people know how to get on margin. It's, you know, these Robin Hood to me with putting people that don't know anything and letting them borrow money and use margin and speculating options or partial. I mean, that's like the bucket shops of the 20s. Right. So uh, I, I think it's all pretty I mean, it's, it's it's fun while it lasts, but I just think it's it's all they got a lot of balls in the air, and they could all come tumbling down in a pretty ugly way pretty quickly at some point. But it's hard to have that happen when they're monetizing this much. So you can look at the insanity, but then you look at the you look at the the monetization and what the Fed's doing, and it's it's really hard to have something go wrong unless. You know, you know, unless the, there's finally a, a perceived problem with the main engine of everything, which is money printing. Yeah, sure. I'm wondering if uh, what you think the timeline could look like for this. I mean, the, you talked when we started the podcast about why the podcast is called The End Game. And, you know, there's such a broad range of different scenarios as to what the end game could be here. I mean, do you want to just run us through? I mean, what could a near-term end game look like and what could a long-term end game look like? I mean, what 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 is the range of options that you think? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know about a near-term and I think there's only the 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 only end game I the end game that at some point the markets the public however you want to say it are going to decide that these central bank policies don't work. What they actually do is they they help exacerbate inequality, and I'm talking about the 1% or the 10% versus – they hollow out the middle class. They right. create inflation. They allow can-kicking, so all kinds of warped things come to be policies, and they, they do nothing but cause problems, all right? And – at some point, people are going to recognize that. When that happens, and whether it's because we've got inflation or, or, or a severely weak dollar, I just I have a hard time thinking the dollar can be the catalyst because no one else is. They're all. I mean, sorry, everyone else is doing the same thing that we are. Right. Right. So I think it gets down to the bond market, and 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 at some point, the bond market will behave in a way that the Fed doesn't like, and. The Fed will want to try – if the Fed has to put on yield curve control, that's when you have to start paying attention. Right. Because th- what that means is the bond market is saying, hey, we want to take rates higher because we're not comfortable with that, what we, where we think things are going. And the Fed's saying, uh-uh, we don't want rates higher. And so 
what if what you would do if you wanted to appease the bond market in the old days is you would tighten and it would be a bumpy period, but you'd keep your credibility. What the Fed's going to do is say, no, no, we don't like that, and then they're going to print. So they will be functionally pouring gasoline on a lit fire. When that happens, that's when you have to pay attention. You have to see if the bond market is going to get serious about having a uh, having a problem that is that is centered on the the uh, lack of discipline for lack for 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 lack of a better term right. of the central bank. And you know, could that happen this year? Yes, it could. I mean, um, and you know, the first time to start paying attention will be if inflation readings start to pick up. Although I say between the this this the CPI and the PCE that the Fed likes, it's hard to get that. But psychology can change away from the data. And uh, then if the Fed is on, you know, if that starts to be a problem, then that would be a thing to pay attention to and start to pay start to wonder about what could happen next there is no way the fed is ever going to stop on its own it can't look it it tried it tried to cut back it was doing you know it was it was um doing qt on F, you know and raising rates a bit and then they they almost blew up the dealer community you know and then and then they went there and then we had the, the covid thing and now we've got these massive debts and anyway they're completely trapped so they're never going to stop on their own so the question is what's going to make them stop and that's the only thing i can see making them stop is the bond market interesting so we will watch the bond market for those potential clues and for those signals Bill, I want to thank you so much. I know we got a hard stop today, but for taking time out of your day and on short notice, uh, it's great to talk to you again, man. Hopefully, uh, love to have you back on in a couple of months. Congratulations on the success of your own podcast as well. All righty, Chris. Thanks. It was fun. All right. I'll come back for sure. Okay. That was later. the one, the only Mr. Bill Fleckenstein of FleckensteinCapital.com. Appreciate Bill being on. And again, appreciate my patrons for their continued support of the podcast. For right now, folks, I am out. Peace.